Okay, so I would love to preach on all of these passages. These are some of the most wonderful scripture passages we have. Some, you know, all scripture is inspired and speaks the truth of God, but some are a little easier to get a hold of. Some are a little richer in what they have to say to us. But I'm actually going to speak about three of the passages that were uh, laid out for us a few moments ago because uh, they have a wonderful way of making a point that speaks about all of what the scriptures have to say. So first of all, uh, let's turn to Psalm 46, verse 10. Psalm 46, verse 10, and we already had it recited for us just a moment ago. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. And then after that, we're going to look at Romans 2, verse 4, which says this, Therefore you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. And then finally, we will look at Galatians 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I want to connect those three passages for us and then also lift them up individually. You would do well to write down those references and to think about them and what you might say about them in your own heart to the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. That's a passage that's easy to memorize, is it not? And I would suggest that you do that. It's a passage that says so much about the fundamental faith of the Judeo-Christian tradition. Just know that I am God. You see, we believe as Christians that there is a God. Many people do not believe that anymore. Many people say they believe it, but then live life as if God is somewhere out there, not paying attention to what we do in the world, perhaps not caring about what we do in the world. But it is our fundamental conviction that every moment that we live on the face of this planet, even the gift of life itself, is because of a God who exists and who is involved in our lives. This psalm talks about some of the troubles of life that we go through, some of the distractions of life that are out there for us all the time. Distractions even right now as we're sitting together trying to focus on God. It is one of our greatest spiritual challenges that we face and that we need to encourage each other about, the challenge of focusing always on God. I love the phrase that says, be still, because that means that we need to sit quietly and listen. Now, I love the sounds that are associated with religion. I love the music. I love the instruments. I love the prayers. I love the sharing. But at some point in time, all the sound needs to go away. All the distraction needs to go away. And we need to realize that we live every second of our lives in the presence of God. There is a wonderful phrase from our tradition that says that in God we live and move and have our being. Our very existence depends on God. Were God to decide five minutes from now 
that nothing should exist anymore. God has the power, God has the right, God has the authority to end all existence. But God loves us. God wants us to be. God wants his creation to exist. Therefore, we exist. As we step back from all the craziness and busyness of life, we begin to see that underneath it all and over it all and behind it all and in front of it all and shot through it all, there is a God. Be still and know that I am God. Often we quote that phrase when life is anything but still. When life is so filled with heartache and sorrow and confusion and angst and worry that we don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. We are completely lost. Then perhaps even more so, the scriptures encourage us simply to sit and to be quiet and focus on the fact that we live and move and have our being in the light of the love of God who continually informs us who continually upholds us, who continually beckons us with love and sometimes with challenge to turn our hearts to him. That is a fundamental, non-negotiable fact, a theological fact, a theological affirmation upon which everything we base our lives is based. You cannot have Christian faith. You cannot have faith of any kind. The Jewish faith, any faith, must depend on this knowledge of the existence of God. Now, where do we go with that? We can go with that in lots and lots of different places. But it's fascinating that one of you chose that passage from Romans for us to think about. Now, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, is writing his fundamental ideas about what Christian faith actually is. If you want to have the single most concise, most profound, most uh, influential statement that ever existed in Christian history about what Christian faith is all about, in my opinion, it is in Paul's letter to the Romans. He begins the letter by talking about the fact that God has created all of us. God has made all of humanity in order to relate to God, in order to have a relationship with God. Whether you know God or not, still God has put something in your heart, in your soul, that cries out for God, that knows there is a God. That's where Paul's theology is actually grounded in the theology expressed in the Psalms. Be still and know that I am God. Paul says, yes, we know, all of us, whether you're Christian or Jew or whatever you are, all people are built with some knowledge of God within themselves. Even those who say there is no God must argue against God because there's something in the human soul that knows there is God. Because we know there is God, Paul would say, therefore, that we are responsible before God. We have to deal with whatever we know about God. You know, still today in the world, there are perhaps several hundred million people maybe even up to a billion people who've never heard anything about Jesus Christ. What they know of God is what is in their hearts, what they see in nature, what they have learned and understood from their own religious and cultural traditions. Even they must respond to God in the way that God has reached out to them. Now, for the Jews of Paul's day, 
Some of them wanted to say that the only people who knew God were the Jews. They had been blessed with God's gift of being involved in their history for hundreds and hundreds of years through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And now they would say through Jesus, and what they would say is we're the only ones who know anything about God. Therefore, God loves us more. Therefore, we're better than everybody else. Not so fast, Paul would say. Paul would say to Jews, to Christians, to all people in the world that all people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that none of us gets life exactly right, that none of us completely and fully and finally and totally understands God. Therefore, no one, and there is no exception, the only exception being Jesus himself, there is no one who can stand in ultimate judgment on another. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't know anything about God. We know Jesus. We believe that Jesus is God's final and ultimate expression of who he is, and we never back away from that conviction. But just because we know Jesus does not mean that nobody else knows anything about God. And even when we do know Jesus, sometimes we get Jesus wrong. Sometimes even Christians who have God revealed to them in Christ, sometimes even Christians get it all wrong when it comes to God. Therefore, no one has the authority to stand in ultimate judgment on another person. It doesn't mean we don't believe what we believe, but it does mean that we hold a degree of respect for all other people. It means that we hold a certain degree of skepticism, even about our own certainty. Because the fact is, is that God is the only one who is certain. God is the only one who is ultimate. And so for Christians, what that means is that we proclaim Jesus Christ, we seek to follow Jesus Christ, and then we seek to love others into the love that Jesus himself offered to us. We do not seek to condemn others into belief. A Christian can never stand up and say, you are going to hell because you believe differently or because you act differently. Only God can make that decision. That doesn't mean that we say that wrong is wrong. God is very clear about what right and wrong is all about. But what it means is that our fundamental attitude towards others and our conversation with others and even with ourselves always has a certain degree of skepticism to say, you know, this is what I believe, perhaps I'm wrong. And even if I believe you are wrong about something, if it, even if I believe that you are going down the wrong path, what I'm going to do is reach out to you in love in order to help you see perhaps where your path is wrong. And if you're going to treat me correctly, if you're going to deal with me, I want that same respect. Does that make sense to everyone? That's so important for us to understand, especially as Christians, especially as those who follow Jesus Christ, who love the world so much that he died for it. What does John say? Not to condemn the world did God send Jesus, but because God loved the world that he sent Jesus. That leads us to the third passage from which I want to preach, from the Galatians passage, Galatians 5.1. Let's read that again. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You see, it is only in our submission to the one God who ultimately is that we find our ultimate freedom. Only as we give our ultimate allegiance and obedience 
to that God do we discover who we are. Only as we find ourselves freed from the need for judgment of any kind, judgment of ourselves and judgment of others, that we actually find freedom in Christ. One final thing I want to say about judgment is that there's a difference between judgment and discernment. Oftentimes, people will say to us, you know, you say that such and such is right or such and such is wrong, but you cannot say that. Well, actually, we can say some things are right and wrong. It is wrong to murder. It is, it is wrong to steal. It is wrong to do anything that is not loving to another person. That's what the Ten Commandments are all about. We discern what the truth is. But at the end of the day, we cannot condemn someone to eternal punishment, to eternal absence from God, because only God has that authority. And that has a way of freeing us like no other way, because what it means is that you yourself are freed from your sin. I have never met a person I've never met a person who has not had some degree of worry, consternation, fear about what's going to happen at the end of life because of something they may have done that they should not have done or something that they did not do that they should have done. And ultimately, our freedom to be who we are and to learn to live who we are meant to be, that freedom comes from the conviction, the absolute 100% certainty that God forgives and that God calls us into new and abundant life here and now, as well as new and abundant and eternal life there and then. That's one way of summarizing the whole meaning of the Scripture, the whole meaning of God in our lives. We can be still and know that God is God and be completely comfortable, be completely at peace, and knowing that God is taking care of everyone else, we don't have to worry about taking care of the whole world. We take care of those whom we know because God is taking care of us. That gives us a freedom in living with joy, with peace, with power every day. And for that, we give thanks to God. Amen. Psalm 19. The heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours, pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? 
clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servants also from the insolence. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word of God for the people of God. Let's talk of signs, shall we? Signs. Sometimes we get signs wrong. Like when I got the traffic ticket and making a right-hand turn when I shouldn't have. Or even when we close on mortgages, we think of the song, the rap song, Sign, Seal, Delivered, I'm Yours. Right? <laughs> signs. As we end 2019 and look at 2020, let's pay attention to signs. And this is, a, at this juncture, a perfect time to think of that example that I've shared before in a, in a prior time of the time, as legend has it, when the Tsar of Russia wanted to attack a village. And the village protested and said, give us a chance. We challenge we challenge your choice, your selection, to a sign language competition. The Tsar of Russia had volunteered the Russian Orthodox priest who was known as the world champion of sign language. And so the competition began at a table. And so the priest on one side and a, a lowly, humble villager on the other side of the table. The Russian priest did this, to which the humble villager did this. And the priest was exasperated and said, oh. And so the Russian priest did this, to which the humble villager did that. The Russian priest was exasperated even more and said, Whoosh. And so the Russian priest then took out a patent and a chalice and did that. The humble villager took out from his knapsack an apple and placed it on the table, to which the Russian priest threw up his hands and said, you win. Each of the men went to their various locations, and the Russian Orthodox priest went to the Tsar of Russia to report, and the common villager went to his village to report of his victory and of his defeat. The Tsar of Russia asked, what happened? How did you lose? You're the world champion. The Russian priest said, well, I wanted to share and tell this, this lowly uh, villager uh, that God is, um, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to which he reminded me that God is one. I wanted to give him a lesson that God is everywhere, to which he reminded me that God is right here. I wanted to teach this, this humble villager about the holy sacraments of the, of the Eucharist, the bread and the cup, to which he reminded me of our sin by putting an apple on the table. The Tsar of Russia understood why he lost. Meanwhile, the humble villager reports of his victory and says, yeah, this, this priest had, you know, had said that we have three days to leave the village. I said, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> and he said, 
you have to go right now, to which I said, we're not leaving. And for some reason, this priest, this crazy priest, took out, you know, a, a cup and a plate, and I figured, I'll join him for lunch. And so he put the apple. Sometimes we can get the signs wrong. Or sometimes we can get it right. <laughs> psalm 19 is a psalm of David. And it is in three parts, verses 1 through 6, 7 through 10, and 11 through 14. 1 through 6, sign. 7 through 10, sealed. 11 through 14, delivered. Psalm 19 is in, the, in this great book, the largest book in all of Scripture, 150 chapters of psalms that takes God's people through songs, a series of songs. That's what psalms means, songs. Lifting praises to God and anchored right there in the middle of the book of Psalms in Psalm 119 is about the word. Psalm 19 speaks about the word but connects the word, the word of God, and speaks about it in, in three ways. Speaks about the word as it is signed for us for every single person to see in creation. The signature of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. This is his handiwork. It declares who he is, his, his character, his beauty, his goodness, that in case any person of any age, of any location, of any culture, of any tradition, of any time zone, in case you miss it, all you have to do is lift up your eyes. Or if you can't see, feel it. Go to the beach and feel the wind, feel the rain, feel the snow, see the sun, see the skies, see the firmaments that declares God's signature, the creator is good and powerful and majestic. The implication is clear, the calling is clear, that when we see that, it ought to evoke, provoke, praise, thanksgiving, worship, offering. But oftentimes it doesn't. Oftentimes, we miss it. Oftentimes, we just sort of take for granted, wow, I've waken up this morning. Wow, there's a sun shining outside. Wow, I made it through the snow to wherever you're headed. And the God who, who provided all of this masterpiece is the one who created us to see it and to behold it. And so verses 7 through 10 says that there is the law of God. Uses various synonyms, the law of God, the ordinances, the statutes, the testimonies. All of those synonyms, all of those words are speaking about God's commandments, what God desires from us as it comes to us through the Ten Commandments, through Jesus' teaching of loving God, loving neighbor. All of those things in which God desires for all of his creation, children, adults, older adults, everyone, all the ways in which God speaks to us, his word tells us about his grand story, tells to us about how he created and how he delivered his people and, and all the things that God desires because of that. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself and all those things as a way so that his heart will be internalized in our heart right? 
All those laws, all those ordinances, all those commandments come from where? From God's own heart. They emanate from God's own heart. Think of any of the commandments. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not murder, honor your father and mother. It's because that God is all those things, or the opposite of those things. God does not lie. God is the God of truth. God is the one who honors all people. Honor thy father and mother. God does not bear false witness because God is truthful and faithful. In other words, God seals in our hearts that which perhaps we miss in creation so that the laws of God will give us the proper lens to see all of creation, everyone around us, ourselves included, and God himself. Which leads us to verses 11 through 14, signed, sealed, and delivered. The text goes on to say that because of your word, your servant is warned. That when we pay attention to God's word, both in creation and in the law, when it penetrates into the deep recesses of our being, therefore, we are now more alert. Therefore, we are now aware of who God is, who our neighbor is, who we are, who we are not. And therefore, as it closes in, those final, in that final verse, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, might it be acceptable to you? That's a very humble offering. It is embedded in that, in that prayer that there's a possibility that maybe what I say and what I think may not be acceptable. And we know our hearts. There's always something lurking inside, even with our best intentions. And that's why Psalm 19, as with all of Scripture, anchors our hope, anchors our life, anchors our past, present, future in that God who created the world, the one who is above time, and the one who is in time, the one who is in our life, to sanctify it and to make it holy. I shared with the uh, preschool families about a week ago in my pastoral letter to the preschool. So a week and a half ago, the preschool children were doing their Christmas concert right here, Christmas performances. And I went upstairs to the office and I received a text message. I received a text message because apparently I had forgotten that my wife had called up AT&T to check up on our Wi-Fi coverage. And the text message that came into my office said, did, did Jesus, the customer service representative, did he... Did he guide you well in your call? <laughs> and it said, press one if you're, if you're, if you're dissatisfied, two if you're somewhat dissatisfied, etc. I read that again, and I, I wasn't thinking of AT&T or Jesus. I was thinking of Jesus. And I said, yeah, I'm pretty sad. I looked at it again, I said, friends, as, as we end this year, this month, this decade, and look to 2020. Let's not miss the signs. Let's pay attention to those signs of all the many ways that God is so faithful in calling us to pay attention to him, to his love for us, and indeed for the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.